Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about Carrion, developed by Phobia Game Studio and published by Devolver Digital back in 2020. And we may talk about some spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. Uh, I picked up this game because it came across on Xbox Game Pass. Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> And uh, I had a really good time with this reverse horror sort of stealth action situation here. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. You know, I heard about uh, Clinton, Brian both enjoying this game, so I thought I'd check it out myself and glad I picked it up. Yeah, it's definitely a game about expectations. Like, I played this when it first came out, and uh, having paid full price for it, I wasn't super happy about it. But as a game pass, being the more bite sized game that it is, I was much happier about it the second time around. <laughs> Well, I was glad you mentioned it to me too, Clint, about being on Game Pass, because I, you know, as you said, it's maybe one of those games that I wouldn't have thought to seek out had it not been like readily available to me. And as so many things do, like having it at your fingertips says, hey, why don't I check that out? And I'm really glad I did, because I do think it's a very unique game. Um, I don't think I've ever played anything quite like it. Um, there's a lot of similarities to other games, certainly with, you know, exploration, Metroidvania aspects, and uh, sort of some stealth action-y things, but it's very unique uh, in a variety of ways, not least of which it's sort of role reversal thing it does. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. I like how it how that takes the situation that you're normally in and just flips it around on you. And it makes a good game out of it, too. Uh, that role reversal that these guys are talking about is that in this game, you are the horror movie monster. You're escaping from a lab and you're eating everything in your path <laughs> along the way. Yeah, and um, it, it's really like you are truly a horrific creature. You're just like all teeth and tentacles. You're a big red blob. Um, and uh, maybe it goes to show that uh, another sort of uh, horror, horribly apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic slash Lovecraftian thing coming out of uh, East, uh, East Europe. We got a Polish studio on this one. Um, studio Phobias out of Poland, Warsaw, Poland to be exact. And this game was as far as I remember, first announced way back in like 2017 and eventually was shown in 2018 at GDC. Um, you know, after a couple of years of development, I think it made a nice splash on the scene in 2020. But from the conversations I remember, it really like got a hold of people in 2021 with Game Pass. Yeah, I was surprised at how well they made the monster feel. Like this thing is just a giant ball of meat with tentacles. So Movement, you know, like as you're moving throughout, that's kind of a weird, you know, creature to try to make feel right. But they did a really good job of of, uh, of the mobility and, and, and the move set of the monster, I thought. The way I kind of thought about the movement was you have a string and you have different balls of meat and eyes and teeth on different parts of the string. And you'd manipulate the string and like this whole monster thing would follow along it looks really nice it feels really nice in the hands too yeah yeah they definitely model you know it, this is a 2d game with pixel art but they do model gravity on the creature really well like the creature is always sort of as you said josh it lunges in a direction and then it sort of sags when it like stretches out to a certain length and gravity takes its hold on it um there's a lot of interesting things especially as your monster gets bigger and bigger that it becomes more cumbersome to maneuver <laughs> it starts to take shape and you know sometimes that you know lends itself to some hilarity as you like accidentally smush your 
toothed tentacle into an unsuspecting victim. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I always kept myself thinking about this whole time. It's like this whole situation just sort of came out of nowhere. Like, I love how they introduce this. You just escape from sort of an unnamed lab and boom, you're there, you're out, you're trying to escape and, and, you know, get out into the world as this completely unknown creature. It was such an evocative setup. Another thing I should point out with the movement and props to the developers for doing a good job with this is that, yes, it does at times get a little confusing about how you're supposed to move this long, uh, long rope of a monster with like the head and the tail at different parts of the level. But like there's no proper head to this monster. You never can look at the monster and uh, be exactly sure where it's supposed to go. So it's like the entire movement mechanic is you're just like i'm moving everything at once and the game kind of figures it out for you yeah and i guess we should mention too that the more corpses you eat the bigger you become because you're just a giant ball of meat so by the end of this journey you're like taking up half the screen so you're right josh like it is weird you don't you can't even really parse where the where, where the front and the back of this thing is but it's still easy enough to maneuver around and i only had like one or two times in the entire game where i like had to like stop and like reconfigure myself to get where I was supposed to be going. Yeah, it does. It does do a really good job of sorting, teaching you what to do intuitively. Like I don't, there's literally no tutorial in this game as far as I can remember. Like they, they do a quick flash up every time you get a new ability about what it does, but there's no like, oh, hey, here's how you do combat in this game. No, like the first thing you do is you flip out, you know, your right joystick Probably, if you're me, this is what you do. And you see, like, oh, that puts a tentacle out to do something. I don't know what. Let's see what it does when it hits a civilian. <laughs> and <laughs> all of a sudden, you're, like, flinging this person around the room. And they're, like, turning into a pink bowl of mush. <laughs> Becoming one with a monster. It was very good that this was, uh, you know, low-grade pixel art. Because otherwise, this would have been horrifying Horrific. and not funny at all. But <laughs> <laughs> This sort of runs into the same ground as, like, your Hotline Miami to yeah. me, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's running into that, like, this is, you know, pixelated gore for pixelated gore's sake. And, you know, every time you do something, it's painting the, the walls red. We got some Newgrounds level gore going on here, for sure. But to that end, as you move through the world, as, as you alluded to earlier, Clint, you're sort of slowly gaining abilities. And as you gain those abilities, you're... Uh, gaining the ability to grow your monster so you know he starts off as like a little guy and he can sort of sneak around and he's pretty fast and then eventually you get some abilities and you grow in size to sort of a maybe a a rhino sized (laughs) creature (laughs) i think there were uh three different stages of size you could be with the monster there was a tiny monster medium monster and big ass monster yeah, and then right. each one had their own distinct move set, and I thought it was interesting too that you, it wasn't just uh, you know linear uh, progression here. Like there'd be points in puzzles where you'd have to leave some of that biomass behind so that you could go do the sneaky things and then come back and retrieve it later. But yeah, it's it's not cumulative, right? Like you can um, you can only access the lower level abilities when you're at the lower level mass. So the game gives you the option of depowering yourself in terms of mass to gain access to the lower mass abilities. I think this was the most interesting thing they did from a game design perspective was tying different abilities that you would need to use to being 
uh, specifically being a lower health, lower powered sort of creature. And they set it up a couple of times where you have to depower yourself and then go into a fight as a smaller creature um, because, you know, you had to leave all that mass behind to add a little bit more of a challenge to it. Yeah, they keep it from being a total bloodbath once you get powered up. They still maintain the challenge by doing little things like that. Yeah, I really liked the fact that they would change the abilities based on your size too, right? Like the little guy, the smallest stage one creature could do um, stealth. He could basically cloak himself and then shoot out spider web type things. And the, the middle one could have like a spiked dash and then um, create a spike ball. And the biggest one basically could become like a total tank and then shoot out harpoons in every direction as a total like maelstrom of death and destruction. Movement-wise, that second stage could push, while the, th- the third stage could pull. Right, yeah. Yeah, they made traversal part of that, uh, of each stage too. Like, it wasn't just like, how am I going to deal with combat? There'd be points where like, well, I need to be a certain stage to be able to deal with the traversal puzzles in this room. And because it's a Metroidvania, there is a lot of folding back. And okay, now I'm the big guy. Now I can unlock this thing, which I can get through here again and like totally recontextualize, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think of the um, like laser gates for this, like utilizing the smallest tier of creature to turn invisible and sneak past the laser gates to then all of a sudden need to use your stealth mechanics to do a stealthy combat station was like a a perfect example of of how this game set that sort of situation up. You know, Clint mentioned it as a Metroidvania, and I definitely got those vibes heading into it. But after playing through it, I would argue it's not a Metroidvania. Um, I feel like you aren't doing a whole lot of backtracking. You have your hub world, which you'll go through, you know, you go from place to place there. But the levels you dive into, you're pretty much expected to just complete them once and then be done with them. Get the new ability you got there and move on to the next one. I will say that that's entirely depending on how you play it. Like, I actually ended up going back through almost all the areas. So when you get to that last area, you get to this room that kind of has, like, screen screens everywhere where they'll tell you, like, you completed so much of this area. Did you unlock all, all the things? And you can go back and unlock new abilities and things like that. Now, the only downside to this is they never really make great use of it once you unlock everything. I feel like there needed to be some, like, big challenge at the end that you could use all that for like in hollow Knight, you spend all that time going back to get all the stuff but there's ridiculously hard things at the end so you can take all that hard-earned you know time and effort and put it towards something but i didn't get that here i think i redid a single level uh just to see if there was anything i missed and i don't remember them respawning a lot of enemies there either i felt like that would have been very appropriate to be like oh i'm going back to a weak level but now I'm an effing tank here, so I'm just going to wreck shop. <laughs> yeah, and to your point, Clinton, and yours as well, Josh, Like, this is one of those games where, despite the fact that it's playing at the idea of revisiting areas, it didn't have a map, and it only had this you know, diegetic tracking system for how completionist you were for any given area. And this is sort of a trend that we're seeing is like this low UI, no UI revolution, which I generally like, but... In this game, as sort of a proto-Metroidvania or trying to be a Metroidvania, I don't think it necessarily served it that well. So you just mentioned one of my biggest gripes of this game. I was going to see how you guys felt about it. 
no map in a Metroidvania did not work for me <laughs> at all. Like, I just want to see what you guys thought. Well, well, you didn't even like the like half map of Hollow Knight, if I recall, right? I got used to it. <laughs> I no, the only thing I didn't like about Hollow Knight is that they give you three charms. I believe it was three. It's been a while, but you're almost expected that one of them is going to be taken up for the map because you just almost have to like, I just, yeah, that one felt dumb to me, but I loved Hollow Knight outside of that. But yeah, in this one, there's like no map. There's no indication anywhere um, to do some of that backtracking. I had to look online. There was no way around it. Like I would have spent 10 hours in a five hour game trying to go back and find one thing. I don't know. I feel like this game was much more linear. Like you got an ability, you knew exactly where you were supposed to use it going ahead. Um, Maybe, Clint, it sounds like you were able to go back, redo levels, and use some of those later abilities. That's not something I experienced. So maybe there was some more backtracking, but it was never like you have to go back to find new abilities. The way forward is always the way forward, and um, maybe you find some extra tentacles if you go back and do some previous levels and that can be fun, but it's not like a necessary component. Yeah, I I agree with you, Josh. And I I feel like for me, the basic loop of this game was, you know, you're in a new area, you find a few areas to expand your biomass, you get a power, you then go to the next area. And there's some like light puzzling that your new power is usually included in. And, you know, by the end, you're sort of just changing between your three or or so different biomass levels in order to make sure you get through the level to go to the next one. And to me, I agree that it felt very linear and sort of non-Metroidvania. And that's fine. Like, this game doesn't have to be a Metroidvania to be good. That is not a criteria for it to be a good game to accomplish what it was trying to accomplish. But at the same time, I feel like it, it did sort of get caught up in half measures as a result of some of the trappings that it, it tried to do, especially with that mapping thing. You know, that's um, something I've been thinking a lot late about a lot lately as a, a small time indie game developer is like that positioning of your game and setting the expectations. This game does kind of set itself out as a Metroidvania. You're going down a hallway and this area is locked um, and then you get an ability and you come back there and get through that locked door one way or another. Um, which, you know, that's a very Metroidvania thing to do. You have more abilities, you can traverse more around it, but the overall structure of it was not very much Metroidvania-ish. Yeah, and even the Metroidvania tropes that they did set up, like the lock and key systems that they did have for individual areas where you got new abilities, did seem a little goofy. Like, what was up with placing the corks in those various passageways that you had to dash through? Oh. Like, last time I checked, like, corks are not a very common building design trope. <laughs> you mean the, the metal butt plugs? That's what they looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, really, guys? This is how we're doing this? Like, are we really so fixated on the one directional stoppage? Like, what's going on? Yeah, those here? are pretty dumb. Actually, that was a little bit of a twist for me when you could uh, end up pulling those as the Biomass 3 character. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, that's a fun little. Yeah, you don't always have to push them out from behind. <laughs> Sometimes they get stuck and you got to pull them out. <laughs> anyway. And here's another podcast with the mature rating. (laughs) 
So aside from all of the puzzling and navigation that you're doing as the carrion monster du jour, you are also dismembering a great deal of different styles of enemies. Uh, the first and least defensible of which being your civilians, a.k.a. food source. Yeah. A.k.a. health packs <laughs> on legs. These were the most yep. fun. Honestly, I didn't necessarily love combat in this game. The most fun part of this game was grabbing onto civilians and flinging them around like little meat markers and painting the walls red, basically. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, everyone, uh, until you dealt with the enemies with shields, like, it really was just, like, run into a guy, make sure you grabbed him with a tentacle, and then you could basically just, like, fling your right joystick around, and he would go, he or she would go flying into a wall or maybe be dismembered, and then you could, you know, reel them in fishing rod style until your little maw could s snatch them up like a rabbit dog and shake them around a bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the, these uh, enemies were a lot of fun to fight. Um, even like Clint said, the ones that were defenseless, because you are the horror monster, you know? You are supposed to be taking them down and uh, taking out unarmed civilians and things like that. It's part of getting into the mood. Yeah, and they, That's right. and they did give you a couple of challenges, too. Like, some of the mechs I found like to be somewhat challenging, but overall... The combat was not the focus in this game. You're right, Josh. This was about creating a feeling. It was about making you feel like a total badass, right? And I think they mm -hmm. did a good job of that. I thought there were some nice parts to the combat, too, though. Like, I did enjoy... You had enemies with shields who were, like, tentacle-proof from one direction. You had uh, flying drones that would go around and shoot machine gun fire at you if you weren't hiding well enough. And, like Clint said, the uh, biped mechs they had going around, heavy armor, heavy weaponry, um, took a little more thought um, or a little bit of strategy in how to take those down. I enjoyed those parts, too. Well, it almost made for some really interesting sort of arena combat situations where maybe you start off in an area, you know, by the end of the game with some of the mechs, some of the drones, some enemies with shields and some pistol guys, right? And so you're small guy, right? So you start off, you take out the pistol guys, uh, you do it stealthily, you grow into the mid-sized guy, you take out the drones, whipping them around, which is extremely satisfying to bludgeon an enemy with a drone, by the way. <laughs> um, and then finally, you turn into the big guy once you've got the biomass to do it, and you slowly but surely dismantle the mechs and take out the driver inside. Like, it's a really, like, nice microcosm of, like, the game's entire progression system, not only mechanically, but also sort of combat-wise as well. I think worth mentioning, too, is that this game had a fun little physics system to it, not just in the monster movement, but, like, um, if you had, you know, guys hold up with shields, and they're in a corner and you can't, like, break them out, uh, toss a vending machine at them, and that'll, like, <laughs> da daze them long enough that you can go snatch them up then. One of my favorite things to do was to, um, in stealth, sort of unsuspectingly burst out of a vent <laughs> as a character, uh, an enemy was looking up at the vent, wondering what was going on, and then slam the vent back behind them, sort of severing their head off from their body. Um, <laughs> it's just, I mean... For people it, listening to this, this is going to sound <laughs> terrible, but it plays so much better than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to just like export it a GIF of what I did here to, to show how benign it was, but it's such a funny little action. Like, you can just sort of take any object and fling it around the room, and it'll cause untold chaos for sort of the, you know, fleshy... The fleshier of your chosen enemies, I guess. All right, hold on. I I, I got to call this out now. You just said GIF. We have three people in this room. Is it GIF or GIF? GIF. 
GIF. Okay, Brian. I always say GIF too, but I thought one of you corrected me to GIF. GIF is peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so here's the thing. I I know there's a previous podcast that we have debated this on. It's probably included. So maybe my position's changed over time. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. Um, At any rate, uh, whoever changed their opinion on this one, growth is the... um, sign of an overall healthy mind so okay. uh, just take that for what you will <laughs> one that hasn't been severed by a tentacle monster as the carry-on monster shows growth is always an improvement i think calling it jiff is the real monster So as you're making your way uh, through all of these various combat scenarios, uh, the game actually throws a surprising number of interesting environments at you. You know, you start off, uh, I guess it's worth mentioning overall, you are in Relith Science Corp's laboratory. And most of the game takes place in this overall large facility that, you know, encompasses a variety of things. But there's also these flashback sequences that occurred, much to my surprise, that sort of helped advance the admittedly vague narrative. Yeah, you're playing as like a human scientist, like going back through the lab that you've already just, I believe, has already been destroyed, correct? I don't know about that. I'm not exactly sure what exactly those flashback sequences are alluding to. All I know is that in them, the carrion beast, you know, the the beast is discovered. Is it, are we sure that it is Relith? I'm pretty sure that the flashback sequence was who you play, well, spoiler time here, at the end. (laughs) No, I think um, the story I got out of it was that there were a group of scientists exploring this, like, ancient building laboratory thing, and one of them gets infected with the carry-on creature going down there. Like, some ancient DNA takes him over or something like that. So that was an interesting thing that I saw too, Josh, because one of the, like, when when you're in one of these flashbacks as a scientist, you get this like text prompt that shows like hey these worms are like ancient antediluvian creatures and antediluvian means like before the first great flood of noah or something like that like you know like very ancient so you're apparently in like a ancient lab so we're talking like ancient aliens here maybe i don't know um this game's very vague with like what the origins of the monsters are and like how it was created or what it is or how it came to be suffice it to say like the setting that you're working your way through in the present Relith Science Corp is in Seattle because you see that at the end of the game. <laughs> oh, yeah, the space needle. Also, if you ever feel confused and don't understand what the story is, don't worry. Just go eat more people because that's the whole point of the game anyway. Like, right. Don't concentrate too hard on what's actually going on here. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this is this is purely a sickness that I have to need to understand all of this stuff. Like It is not <laughs> necessary to enjoy this game. No. But those levels were, you know, they were interesting changes of pace. Um, and I think they helped highlight the great mobility you have as the monster. Because when they have you walking around as a little puny humanoid, um, you've got to like climb ladders and shit to get from one level to the other instead of just climbing up the walls. And opening doors instead of ripping them off their hinges and throwing them at people. That was just like... Ugh. Lame, <laughs> but it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of friction they introduce that makes you like appreciate the monster a little more. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true, and I do like that. The, you know, they added not only just like 
you know, you're in a science lab, then you're in a military installation. But they added some interesting things in the middle, like you were in the botanical gardens, you're in the marshlands, you're in the reef. Like, they sort of pivoted to like a surrounding nature situation for a little while. And I thought it was like, it added some nice variety to the biomes that you were having to explore with this creature. And um, I enjoyed it. I thought that they did a really good job with the environment design and the art and things like that. Yeah, I never felt like one environment lasted too long either. Mm-hmm. Definitely, for sure. And they always added something new. Like in every environment, you were either gaining a power or gaining the ability to overcome a new type of enemy or meeting a new type of enemy and being like, oh, shit, I got to I gotta run. <laughs> um, so it, it worked out really well. And I think the stakes escalated nicely as well as you were gaining power, so were the enemies. And by the end, you were basically working your way back into the inner sanctum of the entire thing. I did kind of like, as a little kind of grace note, the um, warning messages that would flash the uh, public service announcements. Um, that They gradually escalated from like, uh, please report any suspicious activity to your supervisors at once to shoot anything that moves. <laughs> Which is funny because eventually you do gain the ability to like parasite into some of the soldiers. And so like even the soldiers do not trust each other. And boy, some of the most satisfying stealth sequences in this game were parasiting into a soldier and shooting another soldier. <laughs> Or the flamethrower. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Finally get to turn Definitely. it back on them. Oh, man, that flamethrower is such a bad news the first time you encounter it as the monster. But, yeah, th- turning it back on your enemies is very satisfying. Um, to that end, as you make your way towards the end of this game, you know, you're throughout the course of it gaining more and more DNA to gain yourself more and more powers as the monster. And your final power that you end up absorbing transforms you but not into a more horrific monster, but into a man. The most horrific monster. (laughs) (laughs) The human being scientist. Uh, Yeah, so basically, I I love this as an ending. I thought it was a a really great, like, final subversion. Basically, you do all of this death and destruction, and then you walk out as a lab coat wearing scientist into the streets of of Seattle. (laughs) Yeah, it was a uh, nice ending. Like, I kind of expected there to be a boss or something, like a final test, final challenge sort of thing, but they didn't opt to go that way. Um, you transformed into a human, you were able to pass the handprint scanners, and then you're just out there in the world. Yeah, setting itself up for either a sequel or just, like, existential dread for everybody living in, you know, here in 2020x as we record this <laughs> honestly I, I i think i could have used a final challenge of some type like we were talking about earlier like and maybe it was just me because i did more of the backtracking and finding those special abilities but they made a whole thing where that was like a part of the game like you could go become more powerful but for what and the answer was for nothing so why have it especially when you get to that final part of the game at the end you can go back you can do all the backtracking then it tells you okay you've gotten 100 percent, and now what right it's like you've got 20 tentacles coming off of you for for what then right yeah it it is true that like basically the, the nuclear plant the last area before you revisit the initial you know rela science research ward is kind of the final boss right and it's basically just two of the mechs and a bunch of other surrounding ads and that, that is a little anticlimactic. Like, I don't really blame them for not designing some sort of, like, 
uber mech for the final boss i don't know i think it would just sort of it'd be this strikes me as a game that it's hard to like put you up against an overwhelming force because it would kind of undercut the message of the game you're the most powerful thing right no man the national guard comes in and tries to stop you from getting out of the lab come on that's an easy ride in (laughs) there could have been tanks and helicopters (laughs) the whole fucking shit I, I hear know. you, but I also think it like it would have undercut it, right? Because you are you are supposed to be the the the, yeah. the most powerful, right? Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like I died in this game, I died many times. So like there were many times where the heroic human with the pistol that I thought I killed like killed me at the final minute, and it was a great movie like scene. And I was like, oh, I don't even feel mad at that that enemy like they just basically did like the story of alien (laughs) yeah it's usually the guy with the flamethrower for me he got me more often than anything else (laughs) yeah so i get it like i do also wish like there was a little more of a heightened stakes with regards to the final action but i do like the like anti-climax slash cliffhanger ending of walking out as a scientist into the world it was scarier as an as an ending, just thinking like, okay, there was no big battle. He didn't escape. He just, just like walked away. And now he's just one of us. Yeah, like he could be right behind me as I look back and see my dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. I'm not scared anymore. <laughs> uh, so with that, let's sum up our thoughts on Carrion with a three-word review. My three-word review is Pixelated Person Pulverizer. Carrion definitely nails the feeling of being a horror movie monster, and knowing you're the most powerful thing in the room and then flinging a little pixel person around said room never got old for me. Despite some qualms about the exploration aspects of the game, namely the frustrating lack of a map, I think the team accomplished what they set out to do with this one. I would, however, love to see this style of movement and combat in a more full-featured Metroidvania, but since that's just the type of gamer I am, I just guess I'm just going to have to wait. And until that happens, I'm happy to have had my experience pulverizing pixel people in Carrion. <laughs> so my three word was bite-sized experience. Carrion's a fun little Metroidvania that takes some of those tired sci-fi tropes and then flips them on their head. Nothing here was exceptionally deep or innovative, but the gameplay was fun, and it was really interesting to get to play as the monster for once rather than just as the hero. The concept was cool, but the lack of depth and a really short runtime kind of held this one back for me a little bit. I really would have liked to have seen them take this idea a little further and maybe develop it a little bit more. It won't take you long to beat, and I honestly didn't find it to be the most memorable experience, but despite all that, I can tell you that I definitely had some fun prowling around through the corridors and munching on helpless lab assistants. So if Metroidvanias are your thing and you're looking for a quick bite-sized game, this might be for you. All right. My three-word review is Monster Know Thyself. Carry On is a fun romp through an underground lab as the horror movie monster. It absolutely nails that theme. It works because it's fun to squeeze through vents as the monster and it's fun to grab an unsuspecting scientist with a stretchy tentacle. You get to be the thing that goes bump in the night. It's not trying to be a difficult action RPG with tight combat mechanics. It's not trying to be an open world, open-ended quest-a-thon. On the contrary, its linearity keeps the player focused on what's coming next as they clamber, clamber through levels, and it keeps the pacing tight. This monster knows what it is and what it's not, and the game is a better experience for it. With that, we want to say thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. 
And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. was about a 35-minute <clears throat> cast. Yeah, That's 10 Not more bad. than I thought we would have got. <laughs> Even if we have to censor some 10 minutes of it for the sex talk. The metallic <laughs> and, uh... butt plug conversation. That didn't really need to happen. That's the, the second I saw that, that's just what I thought. I'm like, gross. <laughs> like, why is this in a video game? <laughs> I mean, it... guys, Manscaping was just reaching out to us for uh, product, or uh, for... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, sponsoring. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, look for a different metallic. Uh, uh, bl- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Bling bling <laughs> butt plugs. <laughs> and so, guys, you know Valentine's Day is coming oh, up. Oh God! <laughs> you don't know this, but Relith the Science Corp also started off as a butt plug company. <laughs> <laughs> R and D just went downhill from there. <laughs> uh.